welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by the TIC. The road belongs to us all. Uh, my name's Alice Clements. I'm here with Max Gorn and uh, hopefully Campbell Flakemore some point throughout the podcast. He's, uh, he's either cut off via the internet because for some reason there's been a cable that's cut midway through Bass Strait or he's um, on the back nine at Royal Hobart. I'm not sure. TBC. But his phones are off the hook. Welcome, Max. Finally, our dreams have come true. And Tabby <laughs> has just been cut off. It's been cut off completely. We can't even make contact with Van Diemen's land. Yeah, there, yeah. Although I did, I did make a, a second phone call to another friend before, and that that went through. So I'm not sure okay. what he's doing. Okay, maybe, maybe, yeah. He's just wants to get a round of golfing. Yeah, uh, a big thanks too to our our podcast uh, apparel partner map longtime supporter they've just uh released a brand new range in collaboration with arrivals a new york uh outwear company cool kit uh you can get that online now at map.cc uh max have you have you just been taking it all in the last month there's been a lot going on i feel you mentioned before it felt like uh a covid year when we first had our COVID season and there was just racing galore, there's top tier racing and then there's everything else on top of that going on. Yeah. Well, I don't think opening weekend is opening weekend anymore. I feel like there's a good month that leads into opening weekend and then opening weekend happens. Um, but my eyes were, and I'm sure every Australian and I'm pretty sure Australian is literally the listeners that we have. I'd love to think that we have some global listeners, but um, I'm sure all of our eyes are on 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 Plappy. Like that was that was pretty extraordinary. Like that's the highlight of the last two weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Caleb could have stolen from him uh, if he if he managed to get over the line uh, from Jakobsen, but Plappy like, mixing it with Pog. Mm. Like who would have thought? Yeah, you say that was a highlight of the last two weeks. I believe for you there was a highlight before that, like. Two days after he recorded the uh, summer recap with Kino, uh, Moschetti got a win. Moschetti got a win. It was man, a- you've been on him since the Giro three years ago when Campbell and I just looked at each other when you mentioned that he was he was the guy for the bunch of kicks, uh, and he he delivered in a big way. Unfortunately, too. unfortunately, the uh, the company that I bet with, I won't promote them. Uh, they they don't do local Italian races, um, so <laughs> I couldn't get on Wachetti. Um, but uh, look, I've I've gone to a new, I've actually gone off Wachetti just a little bit, just because of his sheer lack of success in any <laughs> level uh, in getting inside a top fifty. I'm now on another fella who gets top tens regularly and could do something tonight in Lasam is Pasqualen. Yeah, okay. I believe he's, he's I believe he's popped up before. Yeah, so I reckon I might have talked about him before. Yeah, he might have been when I did a random random top fifteen sprinters list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but he beat like Viviani, Christoph, Jakobsen now, which is he's in form. He's in good nick. Well, it's my my, my other boy, Cohen de Court, is now part of the technical team mm. at Trek Segafredo, and that could be maybe they've just sharpened up his sharpened up his bike, and he's just got some better tools of the trade. He, you um, yeah, you have to get some mayo out of Kung this year. Yeah. That he's behind the behind the wheel, um, and uh, the other thing I was going to mention for Campbell, big big signing for Dominique Poxaviva, re-signed with uh, 
Intermarche Wanty in February the year after his team folded. So uh, <laughs> he's not here, but I'm sure he will be extremely excited if if he. I've been seeing some quotes uh, around Pozzovivo saying that he's in the best form he's ever been in as well. Yeah. So I'm excited to see finally he's on a good team. And he um, must be he must be close to forty now. So he's got a team that actually performs at the tour. Did yeah. an Intermarche one win like three three stages? Uh, I think it was. Giro last year, they bounced on. But look, but look at their work at the UAE tour. They were good. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, there's there's big upside for him. Um, UAE tour, sprinters. I don't know if it's sprinters heaven, but from a, a viewership perspective, it is good to watch these like wild bunch kicks, massive roads, uh, good tarmac. Most of the sprint teams there, let's say 80% of the sprinters were there and just full eight men trains just going wild down each side of the road. It's uh, it's some good sprinting. That was, um, yeah, I must say that was a pretty crazy field that UAE managed to get. I'm, I'd say apart from Merlier and Caleb Ewan and obviously Jakobsen, who's in some serious form, um, everyone else was there. Like it was a pretty crazy, um, pretty crazy field. And Jasper Philipson, who we probably wouldn't have put in if we did a top sort of six or seven cycle, uh, sprinters. I reckon Jasper Philipson would have been sitting around seventh. Um, he was probably the clear winner. Although Cav, you can see, you can still see if Cav can turn it on, he can turn it on. Mm. That um, team, like the culture, must be just unreal at that squad. Like their way that they've been able to um, have Vanderpol there. And then have Vanderpol there, and then build off that to have Jakobsen, um, not Jakobsen, had Philipson absolutely flying because it just it still doesn't seem like he's the quickest bloke there. No, you're not like no. oh wow that guy's like bursting out of the bunch. Put him on any train and he'd be winning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's good signs there. Picked up two stages. That's huge. Two stages in that sort of field, yeah, um, and with, with 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 a quick step train there, mm. um, it, it was it was. I mean, I I was a little bit like Demar, like he's got a, he had his full FDJ train there. I get it was his first race of the year, um, but he was slightly disappointing again. I'm not sure where FDJ go. Um, Viviani's gone to Ineos and has the best lead out man in the world in Philip Yana and can't do anything with him. Um, so I'm not sure what's happening with the other sprinters, but Philipson has just found his rhythm and him and Cav are the only two that managed to get stage wins. Is that right? It's a real, yeah, him and Cav. Um, we'll get to Cav in a sec, but I guess the I find the UA Tour is a real, like, a kind of, it's a test for the lead out trains. They've all got all their men. They've got no excuses that they're on tiny French roads and they got boxed out. It's a pure, just head to head uh, you, we saw, I think there was one stage where Bike Exchange had like eight men lined up, ready to go, just ready to launch. And Kel O'Brien was just flying down the outside, turned into nothing. But it's a real test of like how, how those teams come together. And I think disappointing, a disappointing UAE tour for Bennett uh, at his new squad, Bora, uh, and Anna Damar, who had, who had good opportunities to um, win. You'd, you'd probably have to put... Bike exchange in there as well. I, I, I feel like Grunewagen is in good form. Mm. Um, so those three, although Grunewagen and Bennett had times where they sprinted, like Bora were just chilling at the back of the peloton some stages. Like it was, they seemed not interested. Like it's gone from Quickstep, who's like the best lead out team in the world. And now all of a sudden he's right at the back with Bora. Like mm. he's starting to feel what Pascal Ackerman was feeling, I, 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 I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, because also uh, after our last podcast, another thing that happened, Grunewagen won two stages of uh, the Saudi tour. Yeah. And so that was that's huge for him. Like we, all we've talked about since his, um, his crash with Jakobsen is that like he's got the goods. It's just how does he get mentally back into that same space and uh, getting some wins on the board. There can't be anything better for his confidence. It must be hard of a team that hasn't done a lead out since, oh, Caleb. Caleb, yeah. But they've got good horsepower there. They're the team, they're former team time trial specialists. Like they've got real good horsepower. And uh, haven't they sent an underwhelming team to open in weekend over yeah. in Belgium? <laughs> they got Derbo who's going Derbo. Hey, Derbo, just sort it out. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and and they're well, they're they're in amongst that relegation conversation that's going around. Um, not sure that it means anything, but down the yeah. bottom stack of the UCI uh, points after some disappointing couple of years. Um, but Cav, you sent me a message after the the win. It was like 2010. It was classic Cav. It was so good. He actually made his rivals look like they're not capable. If that makes sense. Mm. We were watching we were watching Cav at the tour last year win, which was I'm not taking anything away from it, but he was getting delivered perfectly. Well, what was the tour? The tour was Merlier. No, it was him and him v Jacobs, uh him v Philipson. That's right. Uh, all the and Merlier people. was there as well, but he left after stage three or something. Yeah. Yeah. So and um yeah, he had the best lead out in the world. He was dropped up perfectly each time. Um that he won the stages and he was unreal. But the yep. stage that he won, stage two of UAE tour, that was like he lost he lost the wheel. He was getting chopped. He was boxed in. He was in trouble. And it was just so cool, calm, collected. You know what? Bang, out, out, the, out the side, uh, stage win. And he was against the, the top tier of sprinting. Do they? They have to. They have to take both. Both of them to the tour. I'd say take both. Take Jakobs because Jakobs in the form of his career as well. Yeah. How, then, how though? Well, GC, they don't have Almeida anymore. So Philippe, it's literally like a stage team. They've, unless Philippe decides to go for yellow again, I don't think they've got a yellow contender. So you can almost take both. Mm. And you use what, Cav, for more like the pure, pure, the pure sprints? Sprint. Um, yeah, and then you you almost do a Jakobsen a green jersey top setup. Yeah, it's it's probably everyone's probably at home thinking that's the stupidest thing ever. But they're, they're, <laughs> mind you, I take out Cab because he's probably not highly paid. But Jakobsen's probably quite highly paid. But Cab's going to get him three, two to three stage wins. Yeah. So what do you do? Um. Yeah. What do you do? At the, at the moment, Cab's not in, is he? No. No. Jakobsen's a guy, but. Yeah, it's an ongoing conversation. There's been no hard and hard and fast statement about it. No. But can you can you understand? You're big on this ageism thing that where you just write people off, and it's getting rife in cycling. Like you're 22 now, and you're turning pro. Like, what are you yeah. showing me? Can you can you understand how he's flipped the switch? It was, I think it was a Bahrain, or was he at um, Assos? And he was yeah. done. He was crying at the end of interviews. He was, it was, it was done. It was all over. Years of drought. Can you see how he's turned it around? It's incredible mental strength because, like, I've just achieved a goal that I've been trying to do for years. For 13 years playing AFL, 20 years of my football career, I've been trying to achieve this goal. And then I've just achieved it. 
like you then have to reset a goal, which makes no sense that you're now in the middle of your career and you've got a new goal. So if you take that to Cav, who has done everything in cycling and then look to be starting to come on the decline. So if I'd won my flag when I was 34, 35, mm. um, I'm – I'm probably I'm probably content. Like I'm struggling to get another goal or get another, and I can see myself declining. Cav could see himself declining. Has been at the pinnacle, and has somehow got some sort of mental strength to come back from it. It mean it must one. He must love the sport. Like he has to love the sport. If he didn't love the sport, he would have been gone at thirty when he when he looked like he was gone. Mm. And two, he he must have the most incredible mental strength to train because yeah. that would be the hardest part. Like, can you, could you see if say the D's, this is not going to happen, obviously we're just going to roll into another flag, but say the D's have three shocking years. Like, can you see yourself being able to find the motivation to rally a team again? Well, the difference there is Cav wasn't part of a shocking team. He was a shock. He was underperforming himself. Yeah. Um, so if I started underperforming inc- incredible amounts with a poor team, yeah, the writing's on the wall. Like that would be hard for someone in my age, purely because of ageism, of how you're told you're supposed to feel. Um, I'd love to be able to be the, the guy who changes it. Like Sandilands tried to change it. He went to 36, 37. Dustin Fletcher tried to change it. I'd love to be the guy who changes it. But in the end, I've got a young ruck who's 20, who ideally and when he's 25 and I'm 35, they're going to be playing him. So yeah. you can see riding on the wall at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Cab just keeps to find it because he's got younger riders in his team and he just says, no, nah, you have to pick me because he keeps winning. Yeah. And Patrick's got a real tricky decision ahead of him. Um, well, they've got a third sprinter as well, don't they? The uh, Hot Edge. Bal- yeah, Hot Edge. And they've got uh, Ballerini. Yeah. So they've got to juggle that. Yeah. And Cav's kind of, I guess, the only one that fits that pure pure play sprinting type. Yeah. Um, or what we used to know sprinting like. I think yeah, ideally they take Cav where Caleb and the Alperson boys don't go. Yeah. I, I think that's ideally, which will, will be either the Giro or the Volta, I'm presuming. And that's that's the big test. Can, um, like from what you've seen from Caleb um, and earlier, assuming they're kind of the fastest two guys, um. Where where does can Cav beat them? Can Cav out sprint them? Well, I mean, Caleb wins one, you know. So Tua, Cav wins four, five, whatever it was, crazy. Mm. Caleb wins two of them, and Merlier, if he stayed on, wins another one, and mm. Cav only wins two. Where if he goes to the Volta and he's got Grunewagen and Viviani. And my boy Mochetti and Pasquale, <laughs> he's probably winning five. So um, you're probably better off getting Jakobsen, who's got a $1.5 million contract to go grid it out against those boys at the tour. Yeah. Um, the other person that's been good at sprinting at UAE is Philipson, who's just sprints uphill. What, what, like he, he's just your perfect, if he, if he wins the UAE tour, but Team UAE and wins the Tour de France, he's your perfect rider for that squad. It doesn't get any better Correct. for that team. They've um they've nailed their team. Uh, the Almeida and Rafa Mica helping out Pog in the mountains. I know there was yeah. only two stages in the of the UAE tour that Pog needed a bit of support, 
but they've got Almeida and Rafa Micah in, in hot form. They could have trifected the UAE tour if they really tried. Yatey was riding well, but um, then just to have a fella just win in sprints by himself, crazy. Yeah, it's 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 so good. And we've talked about this fair bit on the pod, like how good it is having form. People were like, oh, you don't want to peak too early, but being able to go at so early in the year is beneficial. But there is always the question of, is it too early? Well, there's, and correct me if I'm wrong, in cycling terms, they can dip for the month of May, can't they? If you're hot in February, March, you can have your dip and still be good come yeah. the other Grand Tour races or the other one-day classics. Yeah. Mate, you're not, yeah, you're not packing it up completely, but you're racing. I'm pretty sure Caleb, Caleb has won Volta races while almost missing Milan, San Remo, like being hot in that race. The um, I guess the difference is with, the sprinters are a bit more, are not as um, scientific, not as analytical. Yeah. Um, whereas those GC guys are dialed to a T. But the POG the, just brings... The sprinters see the dollars and they go, they go, yeah, I reckon I'll be fit enough for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what else have I got here from UAE? Damar, Bennett, Grunewagen missing out. Harper and Damo solid from an Australian perspective in climbing support. Damo was real solid. Mm. Again, just, I mean, I think we talked about him last pod about how he seems to be the most consistent climber. Um, but he did it again. I, I think the first day of climbing, he managed to finish with the group, maybe in the top 15. Yeah, I think there was one stage, yeah, where he bagged top 10. I think, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he stays with that squad, like if uh, if he's happy with Yates or whether he wants to go to a, a bigger team because that, doesn't seem like he's ever going to win Grand Tours. Yep. Damo would be okay with us saying that. But in terms of like the last two or three men supporting a ROG, um, a POG, he'd be, he'd be a pretty good guy for that role, which I think Chris Harper is really starting to settle into um, yep. at Team Jumbo. Um, the other right-hand man, I guess, that really stood out over the weekend at Umloop was um, Tej Benut at Jumbo. Well, speaking of hot form and have they come in too hot, that's like he hasn't ridden like that for six years. Yeah. Like, yeah. The um the good thing for him is that he is coming off a lighter cyclocross season, is what I've what I've read. Yeah. Uh without following it to a T, I've read that he's come off a lighter season, whereas normally he'd go full noise all all, all winter against Vanderpoel. So I think a lot of that, but oh my was he was the strongest guy there by a million miles. Well, when you know you can beat all of your rivals in a bunch sprint, but you just decide to attack with 20K to go and hold them off at a 45-second margin for 20K. And and you are the guy that everyone follows. Yeah. Like, it wasn't um, a young rider coming through that slipped off the front. He, he, must, have been, he must have gone when no one else could go. I, I, I do think one could have stuck with him. I feel like Colbrelli had legs mm. and just mistimed it a little bit. But apart yeah. from that, the others, like Pidcock has probably come in, like you said, maybe went a bit too hard on the cyclocross. And he looks a bit cooked, Pidcock. He looked mm-hmm. cooked again in the day after. Yeah. Um, Ineos rolling out their team back to back. Yeah. When we uh, say cooked, this is like a 22-year-old or something um, being in the final 15 riders at Umlo. But yeah. 
for what for what he was uh what we thought Pidcock was going to give us. Yeah. And also like we talked about last pod, Pidcock is the the guy for Ineos now. Yeah. Um it's a it's a I guess it's a worrying year for Ineos in a way. They've got Viviani running top tens at sprints. They've got Ghana not winning TTs. They've got Luke Platt that's bounced onto the scene. Pidcock they've got, they've got- They've got Ghana climbing with Pogacar, though. Yeah. <laughs> and and their other time trialist, Luke Platt, being there. Did you see Ghana's tweet saying uh, weight is just a number? <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> the data that he was doing up that climb? I think I saw it somewhere. It was incredible. It was like 400s the whole way up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we also, like, yeah, they have got him and Plappy. Luke Platt, yeah. like you talked about, ex- exceptional um, up that climb. Disappointed that he... I've heard that he crashed out in the, the warm up of the time trial. So he rode the time trial on his TT bike, um, but still ended up 10th on GC overall or so, something around that mark. So, I, was, I did think it was a disappointing TT. Yeah, because he was on a road bike. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, Wood Van Art, 15 on K to go, motoring off the front. He almost looked like, do you reckon he's, uh, it was like he, you know, he, he never looks like he's suffering, and he looked like yeah. he was putting in effort. Do you reckon he's PR person or something? So it's like, wait, just like you know, when you go, just give us a little grimace, give us a little. It's getting a bit tough out here, as he just <laughs> steamrolls his way to the finish. Um, and, um, and like the whole thing about not waiting for a bunch sprint. Like he's got Trenton Colbrelli, maybe Fred Wright. I'm trying to think of the sprinters that are in that group. Maybe those three. Like he's got them beat. A hundred percent. And he's got teammates. And he's got teammates. They were, they were all there. Um, I think so, we talk about holistic teams achieving their goals. Um, UAE with the POG. Like that squad with uh, with ROG at the other side too for the Tour de France. Like their spring yeah. classics campaign is going to be huge. And they, is Van, Van Art said he wanted to win green, didn't he? Mm. Imagine winning green and yellow. Jeez, that'd be good. Yeah. Both teams can do it. Philipson can do it as well. Uh, Colonel Brass Kerner the next night. So it was a good weekend of... Basically the same field, but Van Aert. He's just gone. <laughs> I'll just do the one. Yeah. And K- sub Van Aert out, Caleb in. Caleb and Jakobsen in. Oh, Jakobsen was a both, wasn't he? I think so. Uh, he not sure. The first one. Not sure. Um, but Lotto were good. That's what I guess that's what I've liked about Lotto um, this year. They were good. They were committed. Um they got the bunch kick they wanted, but Caleb just got lost. Yep. In that in that final, there was a, a overview, a chopper shot of about five hundred to go. He's hardly even in the picture, which uh, was weird because he was sitting in the top ten majority of that final sort of thirty k. Yeah. And I kept looking when they were attacking up like some of those little climbs. I was going, oh, geez, another attack that could put Caleb in the red zone, yeah. but then he was sitting in the front six or seven. I'm like, okay, he's still comfortable. Some of the other sprint trains were the, were the teams that were missing. Um, and then with the last K he got, yeah, he got lost. Mm. But still managed second. Second. So we're talking, imagine, we're talking so about this he, before. He got to he the got wheel. Toes is he? Sorry, what's that? Who's the better sprinter? Can we leave saying Fabio is in better form than Caleb or? Well, you know, I think mate, Caleb. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say that. He's yeah. um Caleb's faster. Yeah. Jakobsen was delivered better. I guess from a quick set point of view too. Umlup, they uh yeah they 
they were always on the back foot. It wasn't a quick step performance where they're, you see they, these guys kind of like just hedging their bets, like to always, always a one to two ratio of quick step to other teams in the breakaway. Yeah. Uh, they were always on the back foot. Uh, Colonel Brussels, Kerner, they were on the front foot, but they also backed Jakobsen in pretty hard with Caleb Ewan in the bunch. Well, and I think we're, we we got to start from the start of Kearney. Like that was a that's one of the best last three kilometers I've watched in the cycling race for a long time. I didn't know Navarro's yeah. had that in him for one. I knew Taco did. Everyone knows Taco has that. Uh, and what's Laporte like? Laporte has been the most mediocre confidence rider ever, and goes to Yumbo and bang, he's all of a sudden this beast. I completely forgot about the breakaway. They caught up <laughs> with forty meters, thirty meters to go. Well, I still thought Laporte and Taco were going to hold on with not long to go. Navarro's dropped off. Yeah. Taco's strong. He'd come out of nowhere in one or two of stage last year, but he, he's going to win another one. And that, and that that's where Intermarche wants He's like, it's a team now. You feel yeah. like they've got enough going on. Um, like they've got uh, Hurt and Tarame going at UAE. They're present in the, in the classics. I think like, they've, got a, they've got a good year ahead of them. Well, I mean, we talked about the relegation thing again. So if you go into Marche, Alpes and Phoenix, and then also Arkea Samzik, who are like flying yep. at the moment with top 10 finishes, there is, yeah. there's some teams going well. well. I think if you look at the uh, Cairn Brussels Kerner results, they were third and fourth. And seventh. And and then Nairo's over winning races in, um, in France as well. So yep. they're racking some points. Maybe they can drop Warren Bargill now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't he? Uh, we don't need to go on Warren Bargill. He's not topical at all. He was a polka dot champion in 2016. We haven't seen him since. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think Caleb's the fastest, but a Jakobsen's lead out, you know, you know what you're going to get. It's always a clutch performance from quick step. So full credit, full credit to that squad for, yeah, they, they created that win. They got that win. Yeah. Did, uh, the last thing I've got on my list to to go through. Have you seen uh, Lopez is already in a little bit of strife with uh, Astana and getting along with his teammates? Oh, I haven't seen this one. There's a. Um, I must say Astana doesn't come on my Twitter feed much. Maybe I don't like it as much. Well, there's a very good video uh, from the La- the Lantan Rouge who just shreds this um, this tactical move. Uh, but pretty much they're in a breakaway. Uh, Lopez is the guy and Lusenko goes up the road with poles. Lusenko attacks and then rides with poles and rides Lopez out of the GC uh, and rides poles from Bahrain into the GC and puts him in the yellow jersey, takes the win. uh, And Lopez is just flapping behind. Okay. So that's, that's, that's not great. Their relationship is already a little bit tender. And uh, don't get me wrong, but are they, are they a Russian brand as well? Uh, they're Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Okay, sorry, they're a yeah. little bit south of Russia. We had, um, we had. There's a Russ Velo. Uh, no, no, it's not called Russ Velo. They're the junior team, Gazprom. Yeah. Um, there, I think there's been a little bit of discussion about what happens with Gazprom. Obviously, the they're not the biggest. They're probably not number number one on Putin's list in terms of having an effect on uh, on his decisions, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, there's been a little bit of chat around the UCI and what they do with that squad because they also won a stage. I, I don't know where it was, but they did win a stage a couple of days after. I did see Sivakov uh, did a tweet and it was yeah. well said. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if Zacharin's out there somewhere, he's probably said something as well. Yeah. 
Um, I, and we, do we touch on the Valverde form? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. That's. I mean, I remember I was I was at some point during. I think it was Kerne or Umlo. They were talking about is Garcia Cortina. Was he the was he the writer that was there? Yeah, Spanish going, movie star yeah. writer. They go. They haven't sent their best uh, team, obviously, to this race because they've got other priorities with a massive race back in wherever it was in Spain. Yeah, I'm like that. Surely that's not your priority. Winning a, a Conti level <laughs> stage oh. race with Valverde, who's 47, compared to trying to give something to Garcia Cortina in like where everyone's watching in Belgium. Well, maybe they're just hedging their bets of like, you know what, we've got a Spanish sponsor. Let's just keep the telco happy, and exactly. uh, and then we'll take that win and and use that throughout the year. It'll be straight into the pitch deck for uh, 2022 sales uh, or the sponsorship renewal. Yeah, but yeah, he's. Yeah. He's still he's still there. He's still winning. He's still winning. It's still going to be an interesting decision come whenever their decision comes about tour. I know he said he's not going, but if he's winning form, yeah, well, he's going. He's going. He's got, and it's his last year. <laughs> um, speaking of form, how's your form? Uh, look, not not too bad. Uh, we played North. Um, there's a, there's this whole concept uh, like uh, perception out there. Uh, from your members and uh, your, your general supporter. But you know, it's just a practice game. Don't worry about it. They're not even playing their best players. Like, something like that. Like, that's common chat. Like Even when I talk to my mates, they're like, oh, you're not playing in the North game, are you? Surely they give you that off. <laughs> that could not be like further from the truth. Like There's two reasons why. One is we have like 10 players that are ready to go that can't get in the team. Like including like uh, the guys who miss out on the granny. Let's run like Tomlinson, Hunt, Wiedemann, um, Melksham. Like there's names that want to get into this team, and then so if you take the gas off at a training session, let alone a practice game against North, you're almost dropped. And then secondly, is a winning culture is that hard to build that you're going to toy with it in a practice game? Like no, you're going hell for leather at every opportunity you get, whether that being a Friday training session in December. Or an inter, or an intra club or a game against North at Casey Field. So we would we were giving it our all. North were most likely giving it their all. Uh, they'd lost a couple of midfielders just before the bounce. I think a few of them had gastro. Um, but come Carlton, we're we're giving a hundred percent. Goody might make some selection stuff that might mean we're a little bit less of strength. But the team that gets out there, we're 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 going a hundred percent. Is is that um, that drive to make the squad? grown since he won the flag yeah there was um so it was 22 we picked 25 for the north game but three sat on the bench the whole time unless there was an injury and there were i think Stephen may and michael hibbard got rested late in the last quarter so uh Wiedemann and hunt came on but when hunty um when hunty found out he wasn't in the 22 like you could tell that he was quite like he wanted to be in the 22 like everyone wants to be in the 22 there's a massive drive there um there's some good players coming back over the next few weeks from little tiny niggles and currently like Tomlinson and Joel Smith are in the team. Yeah. So it's going to be an almighty squeeze. I don't, I don't even know who the team is for Carlton. Um, I, I'm presuming it's going to be a tight little squeeze again. Mm. Uh, you're also, well, your coach was in the media for drinking with his athletes or associating with his athletes. Um, what do you think about the relationship between now you're a leader like the relationship with the leader of the squad and the management and how that works and how, how do you get the best out of it? 
Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, obviously, every workplace is different, especially in professional sport. I feel like that is a lot different to your business world. Mm. Um, like you're you're my boss on the Stanley Street uh, podcast, mm. and I'd well, happily have a beer with may, you. Maybe Alex. I've been doing too much drinking with Cambo because I'm his boss, and he doesn't even can't even show up for the podcast. <laughs> um, but I've, I I feel like being able to drop your guard and doesn't necessarily have to be a beer. It was a beer, but it could be a coffee. It could be the most casual setting. Go for a surf together, like doing something casual and dropping your guard. One, it gets Goody, it, it allows Goody to know how to talk to you as a person. Mm. But it also, from a captain point of view, I can share with him some of the players' point of view. So, for example, setting up 2021, Goody had this almighty plan to set up with this PowerPoint that we won't go into what he wanted to say. And then I sort of said, I think that won't resonate amazingly with the players. And then we sort of talk a little bit more. I give my point of view, he gives my point of view. And then we nail on this PowerPoint slide that was one of the best things I've ever, ever seen. And I'm not claiming anything of that. Goody did it. But I just told him like one or two things that maybe will resonate with players. And funny enough, that was in Rye over a beer. So like, yeah. did that set up something? Um, is there an issue if I'm leaving Sorrento Pub at 4 a.m. with Goody with a dart in my mouth? Maybe. <laughs> but at like 4 p.m., I think we were at the pub having a, and I was only there from 4 to 6. Yeah. I, can do, I can do some good work in, in happy hour, but I was only there for two hours. Like, I think that's okay. Is, is, that, is that the best relationship you've had with a coach or a manager? Yeah, I've, I've had him for a while, to be fair. He's my six years senior coach, two years as assistant coach, so around eight years. And when he first started, he was quite young. So you can a younger coach can get to um, know the players a lot easier. Um, so he's got some stuff in his uh, advantage. But, yeah, he's, he's able to um, let footy go quicker and talk about other stuff more than uh, any other coach I've had. Yeah. And then does that, is that important for all the other players too, or is it more that you've got the read on the other players and that's kind of part of your role to relay that information? Uh, A bit of both. Um, I like to think uh, we have a real strong leadership group of myself and Jack Viney. But then if you add that, I could name about 15 names that would be technically leaders. Yeah. Um, so I feel like all of them would have that relationship with Goody. Younger players, obviously, were used for younger players to be able to connect with coaches and management at time. But um, the balance that we have now, and I mean, it does help winning the flag because we've just spent a week together in Perth after winning the grand final, getting to know each other more than anyone could ever expect. So mm-hmm. now you come back now, and now it is close. Like the first year players have an amazing relationship with the football management's receptionist just because we've had like the most amazing week in Perth. So this club by default, because we were able to go away in a hub has come, come back really strong. Yeah. If, um, if you were designing, if you, if you're going out for team by exchange, I'm just plucking a team for, for yeah. all, uh, all sakes. Uh, what, what would you do to build the strongest team culture? Like what, what would, what are the musts? Well, it's, it's creating the best environment for everyone to flourish. So not knowing what the best environment is for them I'm, and the best environment for us changes every single day. But being able to create, because you need, you need Grunewagen being the best Grunewagen mm. he can be. Otherwise, he's not going to perform on the bike. So you need him to be comfortable to be himself. 
So it's all about that. It's all about breaking down barriers. Everyone's comfortable being themselves. I've been at a place at a football club where we broke down barriers to a point where we thought telling our life story seven times going into the real nitty gritties was important. Yes, it's important for me to be a best friend and maybe be able to reach on that level. But to be able to perform, it, it probably isn't. Like to be able to perform, you just need to know each other to a to a level um, where you can hold each other accountable in a performance point of view. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd focus on the environment. I'd focus on making sure everyone's happy, everyone's been themselves. Um, because that's when you can get the best performances from athletes. One more question on that is, so like, then you've got that, but then you've also got that competitive environment that you talked about of people in the reserves. How do you manage that without creating conflicts and too much competition? That's the hardest balance in professional sport, I think. Um, we've, we've missed it. Uh, when, I, when, when we've missed finals... I, I look back and reflect and we lose all our VFL boys by round 15. Like it's been able to keep that hunger for or, or, or that carrot for a person that's not playing for as long as possible and making them feel like they're part of it and they're one. And they're also learning and becoming the better version of themselves as well. Um, so it's one, it's not, it's not neglecting. I mean, cycling would be incredibly hard. You take a team of nine to France and the guys that miss are chilling in Andorra in their B&B or something. Like, mm. It would be incredibly hard where we go to Perth for a final series and the whole 45 come and they're a part of it. Um, but yeah, that has been the most challenging part of my career is trying to keep 45 players fit, healthy, and mentally ready to go at any time on a list for the whole season. That is that is tough. Mm. Especially when you've got, uh, in a cycling perspective, you've got three different races on at the same time. Yeah. Um, and you then you change the team next week. And then you change the team the next week after that. And and there's there's similar things. You can get you can get dropped as a role player in in our team. So let's say we lose by 40 and Charlie Spargo doesn't play his role. But if he was in the midfield, he could potentially have done what Track did. But he was playing a different role and he struggled to do it. Mm. And he gets dropped. That's similar to Howes, Damo getting dropped from the tour, even though his domestic work is better than someone else's, but he wasn't asked to do that role. So a lot of the role playing comes into it. you got to find a balance. And luckily we found it at a good time last year. But if we stick with the environment we had late 2021, that environment will get away from us and 2022 will be completely different. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Max. No worries. You've got a um, a big month ahead. Doesn't stop here. We're into the yep. the guts. Well, Lassam, the- Lassam tonight. Don't know how to say that properly. Yeah. Um, I'm going. I'm actually going to go with the Arkea Samtic boys. Um, I feel like Hofsetter or oh, what is the other fellow's name? Capiot. You've done. You've done your research. I've done my research on those two. Yeah, okay. Um, and Pasquale and for, of course, a top 10. So the eager, the eager listeners that, well, we're recording this at 5.20 on a on the 1st. Uh, they're yeah, going to have to listen to that. Tonight, so they probably aren't going to get it. Is my yeah, although I'll, I'm going to get this up ASAP just so that okay. real keen listeners get a um get a little insight. We'll be, well, um, the race doesn't start till about midnight tonight, I'm pretty sure. It's late um, and I'm going Arkez, Hamzik, just pick someone in their seven. I've picked two that I think are going to be competitive. Yeah, okay. Uh, a big thank you to the TAC for supporting this podcast uh, and pushing that important message that the road does belong to us all. Uh, and as cyclists, we play a pretty important role in that. Uh, 
in that objective. And uh, Matt, big thanks to Matt. Their new arrivals collab is live on the website. You'll be lucky to get what's left, but there is some some uh, some left on their website, map.cc. Thanks, Max. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Cambo, Katie. I hope you had a good uh, a good 18 holes at Royal Hobart and um, hopefully one day we'll get him back on the podcast. Beautiful. See you in about, a, what are we talking, a couple of weeks? A couple of weeks. Beautiful. Thanks, Max. Bye, bro. Bye.